Let's pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you with praise and thanksgiving for your rich mercy and grace to us. Lord, we acknowledge that we don't deserve any grace or mercy from you because we've sinned against you. We thank you for the redeeming work of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose again, that we may have eternal life. We also thank you for the care and provision you show us daily, for the simple things of everyday life, the blessings we enjoy, and the promises that you show us in your word. As we look around at the world around us, unrest in Egypt and the Middle East, the insolence of our nation, and our own prideful hearts, we confess, Lord, that we are much like Israel of the Old Testament. We constantly seek the desires of our own heart rather than seeking you. Lord, forgive us for not trusting you. You are a sovereign God. Nothing happens outside of your control. We thank you for your Holy Spirit's work in our lives to draw us closer to you, and we ask that you would help us to be more like Jesus. Give us the opportunity to share the gospel with those who you would have us to meet so that they, too, may be drawn to a saving knowledge of your Son. Lord, we ask that you would be with our nation and its leaders. You've appointed them to their positions, and we ask that you would open their hearts to seek you. Be with our brothers and sisters who minister in your name throughout the world, both here at home and wherever they may be. We ask that you would bless our missionaries and our military chaplains, keep them safe, and nurture their work. And Lord, we pray for the generations which would follow in our footsteps. The world is more and more hostile to you and to your people. We ask for boldness in proclaiming your word to those around us. And we ask for grace in any persecution we may receive. Lord, we give you praise for your covenant promise that you will never abandon your people. Help us to see Christ not only as our Savior, but as our Lord. We pray also for those in our body who are ill, those who are struggling financially or emotionally. Put your healing hand on them and let them know the peace that comes from your rest. We also give you thanks for the caregivers that take care of them. Lord, give them mercy to deal with the daily challenges that they face. We pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on this body of believers. Lift us up and let us be a witness for you in this community and to all we meet. By your Spirit, O God, take possession of our hearts so that not only the actions of our own life, but the words of our mouths and the smallest thought of our minds may be guided and governed by you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. Today, uh, we're happy to welcome Elliot Everett to bring our message. Um, I hear it on good authority that Elliot is a Mississippi State fan. Uh, he re- recently finished his first semester at Mercer University, working as the RUF campus minister. 
And he's originally from Jackson and has known about RUF since he was a teenager. Uh, his wife, Carrie, is from Peachtree City, and they've been married for eight years. They have two boys and a girl, Thomas is six, Harris is four, and Graham is two. Elliot, we welcome you. We ask that the Lord would bless you as you bring your message today. It is a pleasure to be with you all this morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is a beautiful church, beautiful congregation as well. Um, I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at these opening verses, the opening 18 verses commonly referred to as the prologue of this Gospel. Begins, uh, this Gospel begins differently than the other Gospels. We'll get into that in a minute. And that St. Augustine said of the Gospel of John that it was deep enough for an elephant to swim, yet shallow enough for a child not to drown. And I think we can, I think we can apply that saying to this, these 18 verses as well. There's so, I think you could do a year-long sermon series on this, this, these 18 verses maybe, uh, but I'm not going to do that to you this morning. I just want to, uh, to look at how John introduces us to this Jesus. Uh, that everybody would have been hearing about at the time and who he wanted to, as he writes at the end of his gospel, I write these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's what I want to see this morning. So if you would, read along with me. Uh, John, John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through Him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after Me ranks before Me. Because He was before Me. And from His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who's at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, as we come to Your Word, we pray that You, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, would speak to us. Speak the words of grace and truth in our hearts that we may see Jesus, we pray these things in His name. 
Amen. I want you to take uh, Augustine's description of this gospel to heart because whether you're just not really sure who Jesus is or really who you want Him to be in your life or whether you've known Him all your life and you want to know Him more each day, the gospel of John invites all of us in. It invites all of us to come and see, to be convicted, to be convinced, to be excited, maybe perhaps like never before. Unique to John's Gospels are uh, Jesus' I am statements, the I am discourses, I am the bread of life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the good shepherd, all those, those are unique uh, to John. And and, and there's a place in this Gospel where John records Jesus explicitly claiming to be I am. That name that God gave to Moses from the burning bush. So the question I want to ask this morning and I want to see how John answers it is this. Who is I am? I think John draws out four things for us here. He draws out that he is the Word, that he is God, that he is light, and that he was a man. Okay, that's what I want to look at this morning. The first one here, and this is the longest one, and it's huge for me. I think um, the first one here is that out of the gate, John tells us that Jesus is and was and always has been the Word. He's the Word. You know, John's Gospel starts differently here. Um, It's different in in a few ways. It's the last Gospel written. It's got a different style than the other three Gospels, and it begins differently. If you remember, Mark's Gospel begins kind of just right out the gate. Jesus, as an adult, beginning his public ministry and takes us all the way uh, to the cross and the resurrection. Uh, Luke, you'll remember, begins his Gospel with Jesus in the womb. Matthew begins his Gospel with a genealogy. John takes us back to the beginning. John takes us back to the beginning. The beginning. Every Jewish ear, anyone acquainted with their Bibles, their ears would have perked up when John out of the gate says, in the beginning was the Word. John's taking us back. He takes us back to the beginning of history itself and by implication before history even began because in the beginning was the Word. He was already there. All things were made through him. You see, John is using the language of the first creation and he uses the language of the first creation to introduce us to the story of a new creation. And just like that first creation, this new creation begins with a word. You remember... God, at the beginning of all things, He spoke and it came to be. Let there be light, He said, and there was light. This is how He created. We confess that we believe that God created all things of nothing by the word of His power. I love that phrase in our Westminster Confession. He created all things by the word of His power. So everything that is, everything that was, everything that has been, John, the Bible tells us all of that was created by the Word. And so from the first verses here, John's telling us this Jesus you've heard about, this Jesus maybe that you think you know, or this Jesus that you want to get to know, the first thing you have to understand is that He is the Creator of everything. He is the one by whom, for whom, and to whom are all things. All of it. But the question still remains, why, why does John call Him the Word? Well, if you think about it, what are our words? Our words are the way uh, that we express ourselves. We express our desires. We express our thoughts. We express our reason. We use that with our words. Our words are our self-expression. So Jesus, as the Word of God, would be what? 
none other than God's perfect self-expression. But there's another connection here with the rest of Scripture because you see, in the rest of Scripture, in the Old Testament, the Word of God was often and always synonymous with God in action. We especially see that in God's acts of creation and deliverance and revelation. Remember, in creation, He spoke, He said, and it was so. In Revelation, we see in the Old Testament as the Word of God comes to His people, the Word of God itself acts as a messenger. We see in the prophets, like the prophet Isaiah, we're told that the Word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Not that Isaiah began speaking the words of the Lord, but that the Word of the Lord actually came to him. Deliverance. In Psalm 107, the psalmist tells us of men crying out for help and for deliverance. And we read there in Psalm 107 that God sent forth His Word and healed them and delivered them. God's words, what we see in the Bible, is that God's words are the same as His deeds. God speaks and it comes to pass. Isaiah 55, the prophet says this, as rain, or God through the prophet says this, as rain and snow come down from heaven making earth bring forth sprout, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. His word will do that. His word will go out and it will do something. It will accomplish that which he sent it out for. It will not return to him empty. What does that look like for us? What does that look like in our lives? I think Paul is touching on this in Colossians 1 when he says this. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and get this, and in him... All things hold together. What Paul is saying there is that our very existence is wrapped up in Him. Our very being, the fact that you woke up this morning breathing, is wrapped up in Him. See in verse 4 there, in Him was life. And that life was the light of men. He is life itself. Meaning, if you don't have Him, you're not living. And the life that you've built for yourself is doomed to fall apart. Or more than likely already is. There's another significance here to Jesus being the Word. If you think about this, this God of the Bible, we believe that this is one story, from, that God has written the story of history from beginning to end, and what we need to know unto salvation is recorded for us here in all of Scripture. In all of Scripture, what we see is that this God is a speaking God. He spoke the world into being. He gives His Word, His covenant promise to Abraham, which sets apart for him a people. He delivers them with His Word through Moses out of Egypt. He disciplines them through judges and kings and prophets by sending sending them His Word. The history of God's people is defined. Every watershed moment for the people of Israel was defined by what? God's revelation to them, God's word to them, the things that He spoke, the things that He instructed, the things that He promised. Their history is defined by His words. If you look in your Bible, 
uh, in between Malachi and Matthew, in between your Old and New Testaments, often there's a blank page. That blank page is huge. It represents something very significant. You see, that blank page represents 400 years of silence. See, at the end of Malachi, the words stopped coming. And for 400 years, God's people did not hear God speak. And then John says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So you see what John's saying there? Are you waiting for God? Are you looking for God? Are you just praying and hoping that God would speak into your life? John says, here He is. Here He is. The person and work of Jesus Christ. If you're longing for God to speak into your life, John says, this is where you should be looking. The second thing is this. He's God. Now, that seems self-explanatory, but let's think about this for a minute. He's God. If Jesus is the Word, if Jesus is God's perfect self-expression, then what John is telling us is the deeds and words of Jesus are the deeds and words of God Himself. And I want you to think about this way. Why does John go back to eternity past? Why start there? Why take us all the way back there? I think it's helpful to think about this way. The, um, I like comic book heroes and I like movies. And the last ten or so years, comic book movies have been all the rage. And they just keep making money and they're going to keep making them until we stop going to see them. Uh, but you take, for instance, uh, these, the, the Dark Knight trilogy over the last few years, the new Batman movies. So popular with people my age and college students especially. Um, I loved these movies. And the premise of this reboot of this comic hero, if you will, is that you take this great superhero... And you get to see what's fully behind the mask. See, in the early Batman movies in the early 90s, if you remember, you kind of had this clean-cut, do-no-wrong Bruce Wayne who was just trying to be a normal millionaire philanthropist. And then at night, he's Batman and he's just wiping criminals off the street left and right. But in the dark night, in this trilogy over the last few years, what we get to see, we actually get to see this Bruce Wayne who is deeply haunted, deeply conflicted, very cynical. He actually makes mistakes and doesn't know which way to go sometimes. And we love him for it. We love that kind of character. Why? Because now we look at this character and there seems to be something very real about this character who before seemed anything but. In other words, what we see in these kind of comic book reboots is that mythical greatness comes down to a level that we can relate to. More than that, a level we can believe in. Now, it doesn't hold, the parallel doesn't hold perfectly, but I think the same principle is at work here in John. In eternity past, we see the greatness and majesty of Jesus, just how big He really is. And John says that unless that we see, I loved uh, what we, the confession that we did this morning uh, from the Westminster Catechism, unless we see 
that this Jesus is the infinite, eternal, eternal and unchangeable God who made and upholds all things, we are going to miss just how amazing is the condescension of His love. You understand what I mean there? Condescension. He has to come down. If God is going to relate to us in any way, He has to come down. And that's exactly what He did. That this God, greater than we could ever fathom, that untouchable superhero, came down as a baby, born in poverty, fleeing persecution before He even knew what was going on. We have to admit... Sometimes maybe Jesus just doesn't do it for us because maybe we've forgotten that. Or maybe we never really knew. And John says, you've got to see this. If you're going to think and pursue this Jesus. And even more than that, think about this. How will any of us ever be fixed? You have to be denying a lot of things to deny the fact that this world is broken. And that we are all broken. That when groups of people come together, we're just multiplying brokenness, really. Things are broken. And some of you have come uh, face to face with this in ways that I never have. And there's this, there's a, but there comes a point where we wake up and we realize, you know, it's not just out there that's broken. It's pretty messed up in here, too. G.K. Chesterton uh, somebody, uh, the great theologian, somebody petitioned him to write an article entitled, What's Wrong with the World? And he wrote a letter back simply this. Dear sirs, concerning your article, What's Wrong with the World? I am, sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. There comes a point where we realize that, where we see that, and we wonder, what is going to fix me? John says, how about the one who made you? And at that, how about the one who made you for himself? Here we have the designer himself who came down to deal with our brokenness. How's he going to do that? I think the third thing we see here is that the word, he's the word, he's God. He's also light. This is a big theme for John. Um, one, one of the I am's is I am the light of the world. John carries that theme on in, in his letters. Jesus is the light. Well, what does light do? I think simply you can just think of light shines and light reveals in that it helps us see things, right? You look at verse um, 18. John says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. So what Jesus does as the light is He actually reveals to us who God is. Even more than that, though, He reveals to us who we really are. He's doing both. To look on Jesus is to see the light. And whatever He says or does is God doing or saying those things. In Jesus, think about this, because He's the light, in Jesus we see what God is like. Now think for yourself, if somebody came up to you on the street and you had to answer without thinking, and they said, what is God like to you? How would you answer that without thinking? What is God like to you? I think probably we'd throw out some words like holy, he's loving, he's merciful, he's gracious. Great words, They obviously. The question is, in your daily life, 
how you carry yourself, how you think, how you deal. What is that proclaiming to the world what you think God is like? Because I think what you see in the Gospels as you come to Jesus, as he sheds light on who God is and on who we really are, what Jesus does is he completely blows our categories for what we thought God was like. Think about this. Circumstances often rule the way that we are processing things in our lives, the way we're going about doing things. Think about this. If you find yourself here this morning, or if you know all too well what it's like to be hurting or struggling or actually really dealing with your brokenness, it is very natural at those times to feel like God could not be farther away from you. The psalmist admits as much. They cry it out over and over again. God, where are you? We feel that. It's easy to think that God stands aloof in those times. But then we see this Jesus. He goes up to a woman at a well. And he knows her brokenness better than she does. Or you see Jesus standing at the grave of his best friend weeping at the pain death causes in the world. Showing that he cares about our brokenness more than we do. And he's going to do something about it. And shows us that God is not anywhere near distant. He's actually up in it. Dealing with it. Restoring us. Healing us. Maybe you find yourself this morning carefree. Maybe you've done all right for yourself. And you would like to just keep going on the way you always have. Thank you very much. You have to deal with the Jesus who says, Those that hear my voice obey my commands. They abide in me and bear fruit, and those who do not, the Father takes away. Perhaps you find yourself a little judgmental this morning, though you would never accept that label. You just really cannot stand people not like you. People that don't get it. People that are just hypocrites. You just want to find a group of people that are as real as you are. You have to deal with the Jesus that walks straight up to the town prostitute just to speak words of healing into her life. You have to deal with the Jesus that sat down time and again with some of the town's most despised citizens just so they could get to know him. What we see in the Gospels is that Jesus completely blows our categories for what we thought God was like and for who we think we are. Look to the light. We read further in John, John chapter 3, 19. We're told that the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light. Jesus exposes our darkness. But he does so so he can deal with it. And what we actually find is as Jesus begins exposing our darkness, he actually begins to shine light. You look at verse 5. We see that light and dark are opposites, but they are not equals. The darkness has not overcome the light, we're told. Jesus is the light. The last thing here, again, maybe it's self-explanatory, but Jesus was a man. Jesus was a man. 
He's the Word who is God and He is the light of men. He's the creator of everything. He was before all things. And yes, 2,000 years ago, He was born a baby and He grew up year after year. He went through puberty. He became a young man. He was in His 20s and then He was in His 30s. He had hair. He got sweaty. He got tired. He got hungry. He was a man. When I first preached this sermon at, at Mercer... Uh, for RUF, I was on my way to campus, on the way to large group, and I, I don't really usually listen to country music, but ever since I moved to Georgia, I've, for some reason I've started. Um, but I was listening, I had country music on, and there was a song, and the constant refrain of the song was, if I could have a beer with Jesus. And I thought about that, and as I was about to preach this, I thought, you know what? The thing is, is if you had lived 2,000 years ago, and there was beer, you could have. You could have ate with him. You could have gotten a boat with him. You could have slept in the same room with him. John did that. Les Mis. We had that great uh, reproduction of it in the movie uh, this past year. Uh, and maybe you love the story. Maybe you got drugged to the movie and didn't realize there was going to be singing in it. And so you were mad. I don't know. But for those of I read the whole book um, years ago. I take very... I'm much pride in that. Uh, but we love that story, or stories like it, because it is such a powerful story of how grace and deliverance can completely transform people's lives. You get this story of uh, uh, grace shown by a priest to this thief, Valjean. Completely transforms his life. We get this little girl, Cassette, who's destined for a life of destitution and God knows what. And she has a Savior come and swoop her up and take her in as as His own daughter, providing for her every need. We love stories like that. We love stories like that that move us to tears. But here's the thing. None of them hold a candle to what this God did. They can't come close. John spends the first 13 verses telling us about who this God is so that when we get to verse 14, we can understand the full weight of the fact that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That this infinite, eternal, and unchangeable God took on a created body to live in poverty, to live in a life of rejection and loneliness, in persecution, becoming like us, the author of Hebrews tells us, in every way, yet without sin. Meaning, we really do have a God who knows where we are. We do. Why? Why does He know that? Why does He want to? Why did He choose to do it? Verse 12, simply so that we could become children of God. What we were created to be. And when that finally begins to hit home, we will know that we've met this God. We will know that we've met this Savior. We'll know that He's the one who fills all in all, everything that we've ever needed or wanted. Because we'll see that from His fullness, we've received nothing but grace upon grace. When you think of Jesus, do you think... Grace upon grace. 
Or do you think of a life coach who's standing behind you, looking over your shoulder, constantly telling you, no, you messed up there. Better get right. Come on. John says, from his fullness, he's received nothing but grace upon grace. Is that how you view Jesus? No matter how bad your last year has been, do you believe that there is grace for you? That maybe you're here this morning and everything's actually pretty okay with you. You don't want to rock the boat. There's grace for that. Maybe you finally got it all together and said, I'm going to do it right this time. And it didn't take a week for it to fall apart. There's grace for that. Because from him, John says, there is nothing but grace on top of grace. Where are you going to find that grace? Here's what John's telling us. You're not going to find it in an airtight argument. But I can give you an airtight person. And his name is Jesus. And you can't dismiss him for lack of evidence. Because what John will say is, I saw him. I touched him. I loved him. And what I found was grace upon grace. I leave you with this. Tim Keller, in his book, The Reason for God, he says this. In the Christian view, the ultimate evidence of God is Jesus Christ himself. If there is a God, we characters in his play have to hope that he put some information about himself in the play. But Christians believe that he did more than give us information. He wrote himself into the play as the main character in history when he was born in a manger and rose from the dead. He is the one with whom you have to do. John says, simply, have you met him? Are you looking for God? Are you looking for a word? Are you looking for some light? Here he is. His name is Jesus, the Son of God and Savior of sinners. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you and we need Jesus. And you knew that before time began. And you set about in motion the greatest story that has ever been told in which you would claim a people for yourself and that you would give them a Savior, one of their own, by Him and through Him, we would know what it is to be a child of God Father, we pray this morning above all else that you would give us Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. If you would stand for the benediction. For those who know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And God's people said, Amen.